Hi, listeners. This is a much longer mini-sode than we usually have, but I just could not find a place to cut in here. So you are going to be treated to the more than an hour of our conversation with Patrick. We cover a wide variety of topics, and I think we get into some really deep theological concerns and topics. And around... Around the 49-minute mark, uh, Ethan and I really start ganging up on Patrick and don't let him get a word in edgewise. So uh, if you are looking for a podcast where we give the guests the last word, unfortunately, this is not the one. But I think this highlights a real theological divide that we can completely overcome by like having shared goals together and uh, valuing other people as people worthy of love and grace and all of the good that God has prepared for us. So uh, dig into this, get ready for it to be a theologically heavy conversation and uh, enjoy the show. So Patrick, I hear you have some thoughts about our discussion about the Asbury revival. <laughs> One, two, five, nine. Father, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? Would you like to share Well, that? I, yeah, I did. I can't remember them all now. It's been a while. <laughs> um, but the, um, it was listening to either the episode or the mini episode or whatever. And, and you guys were talking about both the, the, he gets us campaign yes, um, and the Asbury revival and kind of connecting them. And I see them as very differently. Like the, he hmm. gets us campaign is a bunch of, um, I don't even know what the kindest way to say it is. You can but be unkind. It's a bunch of people losing political power who are trying to buy their way back into having more political influence. Yeah. In my opinion. That I don't think is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> in my entirely correct opinion. <laughs> um, my entirely correct opinion. And it, it just, like, it's gross. Like, $100 million spent on advertising is just, ugh. Yeah. Um, whatever. But like the the thing the the thing with the Asbury revival is is and and I want to share a little bit about my own kind of background a little bit because it um it's it's this weird kind of like the meeting of different things that like I understand that the the top down kind of political thing that's happening um, in or around or outside of it but like I don't know if that's really what was happening. Um, on the ground in Asbury. Obviously, I didn't go because I've got a kid in my life. I can't travel to <laughs> Kentucky or wherever. Um, and so, like, when I was in college, I took um, and attended a Pentecostal church for three years. Have we talked about this? I don't think so. Okay. Um, so, like, I had in the full full deal, like, um, on a Pentecost Sunday, pulled back into a back room, prayed over, spoke in tongues, the whole nine yards, right? Um, and, and throughout my time in college, like was, was always doing something to try and be Jesus-y. And it wasn't like this, like, it wasn't like trying to like, oh, I'm show how much better a Christian I was. At least I, I didn't think that, I mean, maybe other people, it was competition. I don't know. It was just like, I was just trying to be faithful and figure out what did it mean to be a Christian and to be a faithful Christian, try and follow this call that I felt I had in my life. Um, and so like one semester I had a daily prayer meeting before classes. So every single day at like eight, I would meet in a little chapel at the school and pray with other people 
um, and did that every day for a semester. Another semester um, did this, uh, I did fasting on Thursdays. So I would not eat from the time I woke up Thursday morning till breakfast on Friday. And I just did that every Thursday to try and connect with God better or whatever. I heard that rabbis would memorize the scripture. So I started to try and memorize the Bible in the NIV, of course, because <laughs> God's ordained translation, I think. Um, so anyways, like all of this, like trying to like, like I'd hear what other people had done or, or were doing, and then I'd try and do it. Um, and at that time in the early, early 2000s, mid 2000s, um, there was this movement um, out of England called the 24-7 prayer movement. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember or have heard of that. Um, but this dude, Pete Grieg, um, talked about these prayer rooms. And so people would set up these um, rooms in churches or wherever where for 24 hours, for seven days, they would pray. And then some of these kind of continued on for a long time. Um, and then I don't know if this is connected to it or not, but in Kansas City, there's this place called the International House of Prayer. I obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that um, they do continuous praise and worship. Um, and as far as I know, still are doing it. Um, I don't know when they started, but like I went back in 2004 or whatever and visited, like they've been kind of praying, worshiping or whatever, 24 hours a day for decades. And so like, so when I heard like the Asbury stuff was happening, like, like, like I didn't feel like I, I didn't have the same response that other people had. Like, it seemed like everybody was kind of categorizing it as in this, like, um, this movement of God that God is either approving, um, God is approving of the, the more conservative theology or whatever, or God's taking a side on, on whatever, or, or the kind of, oh, this is just a sham. This is a bunch of people like who are just making this up and it's all just overly emotional. Um, and it, it like, I'm like, well, yeah, but it could also just be like a group of college students trying to figure out their faith and they've heard about revivals and they're trying, and they're just like trying to live into it. Like, like there's this, and, and, and part of what I guess I find, I don't, I don't know. It just difficult about the conversation is like, there's no, it feels like it has to either be like authentic or um, a political manipulation or kind of like, and, and the, the, the notion that like, no, these are a bunch of college kids just trying something or, or like, it's not perfect, but maybe God is there trying to move things in a better direction in one form or fashion. Like, I don't know the, the, the conversation, like, just I, I was displeased i guess not, yeah. not not with with you all but just like everybody talking about it it was just like oh this this is this or is that or it's great or it's terrible and it's just like maybe but like i don't know so i i'm just kind of as a as a recap or as a reminder if you would be willing like when you guys were hearing about that, like what was your general kind of feeling about the whole revival and, and thing? I, I'll speak for myself. Cause it was pretty quick. I really tried to avoid it because sure. I, it was, 
um, uh, triggering is not the right word, but I was like, I don't want to think about this. You know, like if I think about this, then what I need to think about is my history going to very emotionally driven worship services mm-hmm. and big conferences and my own kind sure. of quasi evangelical feeling. And also that I know that I was emotionally manipulated by spiritual leaders and yeah. it is incomprehensible to me, even in college, it's incomprehensible to me that they are not being manipulated in some way, shape or form. And so I was like, I can't touch this with a 10 foot pole. But as you're talking about it, like I, I fully was part of a prayer team of like physics majors. There were like three of us Christians in the physics department and we met to pray <laughs> about our careers and about the department and about all sorts of things in college. Like I, I resonate a lot with what you're saying. I was trying to figure out what I, what I needed to do or what was the best path for me to go down to be more holy, um, or how to live my faith in this new setting. And so I fully see like kids at Asbury, of course they like revival is what they think of, you know, they're, this has worked for others. Let's just see, let's just see what happens. Like, let's just experience this with less of a motivation that then people put, put onto them. Like that seems really true to me. So those are my thoughts. Um, I'm pretty cynical about it. I won't lie. Uh, the college kid, I think it's great. I think you're right, Patrick, that that uh, a generous and probably very true read of the situation is young people, young college people, trying to take their faith seriously. But they've been trained to take their faith seriously in a conservative, anti-gay, anti, you know, all kinds of things, uh, context. And so there's a part of me that I just kind of shrug and I go, well, I don't actually know if it matters all that much what they intend to do. You know, I, I, I think that now I think that in the end, you know, the Asbury revival, um, now having several months, you know, more than a few months away from it, I think ends up being what, what I predicted it was going to be, which is just, just another Christian music festival, you know, like, like it's, it's, I'm like, yeah, yeah I mean, we'll see. Like, like that's always my thing. Right. Uh, the other side of it is like, and this, I think it, it was more at the periphery of how I approached it when it was happening. Uh, and is now uh, more center in my mind is uh what we've all sort of assumed was true, we now know for sure is true. We know for sure that for that at least since the 70s, conservative politicians and church leaders have been attempting to hijack the country to take away everybody's rights. We know that. We know that's the goal. We we're, we're, we've learned we've now know that for for real, and uh, I just think that every Christian organization is under judgment, mm. and so it does not matter to me if this particular revival was done with um, uh, the best of intentions. These young people were reared and trained in a tradition that told them you know, a, a, a bunch of manipulative lies in an attempt to use religious liberty to take away religious liberty. 
like, like are what those kids were doing at the revival was that what they were doing? No, but I don't care. It doesn't matter that that's what they that that wasn't what they were doing. When I went to Creation Festival and sang a bunch of songs by Third Day, it didn't mean it didn't mean that I I was trying to actively engage in in the the evangelical uh, Christian rights goal of remaking the country in their own image, but I was still giving them money, a part of the machine. Like, frankly, are, are those kids paying tuition dollars? Well, then they're under judgment. They are. They are. <laughs> they have to be. Like, what other moral way can we view it? What other, how, how else can we view that? Like, what is Asbury University and Asbury Theological Seminary's history of anti-gay legislation, anti-gay activism, and anti-gay policies? Sure. You know, and uh, the way I see it, it's a work all the way down. The, the Asbury revival is the equivalent of uh, movie night. Hey, come pay your, tu- your tuition dollars to support what our, our mission of remaking the country in our own image. And um, uh, finding Nemo is at seven o'clock tonight. Enjoy. You know, it's the same thing, right? How is it not the same thing? Well, go ahead. Patrick. I mean, finding Nemo is Disney and Disney's, more right. you, can't, so. you can't you can't do Finding Nemo anymore. Back in the day, maybe. <laughs> Back in the day. And by Finding Nemo, I, of course, well, you can't do the VeggieTales anymore either. What I mean is Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. <laughs> Not Dead 4 or whatever. Oh, my gosh. So I was doing some research for, for a sermon, and there was this survey done through the Barna Group asking people about Christian leaders. Um, mm. back in 2007, whenever they were doing this. And they were asked to like, who are the top leaders you associate with Christianity? And church people um, who are our age um, at the t- um, um, of our generation, they not only did they mention George Bush as a Christian leader, but they oh. also mentioned Mel Gibson. Um, oh, God. <laughs> Somebody. And it's Somebody just like, wow. Um, that was part They're of it. screwed. <laughs> A chapter talking about the the political enmeshment of Christian uh, American Christian faith. Um, <laughs> that's a nice callback to my week. Um, <laughs> now, well, now think... let me say one more thing, Patrick, because yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to paint this weird picture that I like. That I I hate. You know, I hate college students. I, I think college <laughs> students are great. You know, and I think it's good when college students want to pay more attention to their faith. I think that um, I don't want to lose. I don't want to be so merciful that we forget justice. Mm. Um, and and so I, sure, you didn't mean to. You know, great. You didn't know what was going on. Okay, but your impact is different. It doesn't matter. You know, like like I want to measure the impact. It doesn't doesn't matter what the intention is not really it might matter uh, on an interpersonal level but but if we're talking uh you know uh, an organization an institution with with power then any any time we enable that institution we're, we're sort of amplifying you know the um uh, so, uh, an impact that goes just beyond what you and I can do as one person. 
That's what I think. And and yeah, but I, I wish I could be more generous with these with these folks. But well, but here, okay. So here's the thing. So I, um, like I obviously come out of a very conservative background, right? And my journey towards um, being a pastor at an MCC church, um, yeah. like was was a long one, right? It took years, right? And so. Like I would have attended the Asbury revival. I probably would have played some music at it if I were attending Asbury, right? And I don't know where my college fits. My college got kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention. So like, I don't quite know where they fit because certainly a lot of folks who attended um, small private college I mean, the vast majority were Christian, and and while the the faculty is fairly diverse, the student body kind of leaned conservative because I mean Missouri, mm-hmm. or at least Missouri right now it used to be a swing state, um, and so the I don't know I I guess like it's like I think about like there's there's the professors in the institutions and and those things that are that are pushing for something that that I think is very hateful and destructive and harmful, but like the students themselves, like most of them or the majority of them, this is what they've grown up into. And so like, there's this question to me of like, when, um, well, I guess like my question with it is like, when do we offer grace and when does grace stop? Cause I certainly understand the not wanting to be too merciful thing, but like, so if like you've spent your whole life in a kind of, um, fundamentalist Christian environment up till you're 15 or up till you're 20 or up till you're 30 or like at what point does like compassion for the five-year-old who grew up in the fundamentalist Christian mm-hmm. environment change to like just complete and utter judgment for the and 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 then what does it mean because like like there's this I guess there's this question of like of like like people sure there's free will but also like you're in an environment and yeah. and so like i'm i'd be kind of curious like how to balance that the cuz cuz when i see like when i saw the asbury revival and saw that they were doing this i was like oh cute i used to do things like that um but also like like the the there's just this like um, I, well, I have hope, I guess, which I, I don't know if that's wrong of me, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I have hope that, you know, if anything can break through that kind of a culture of, of <laughs> fascism is what comes to mind, <laughs> but mm-hmm. that, that, that fundamentalist culture that pushes for such homophobic and judgmental ways of living like a spontaneous we're gonna just sing songs and let whatever happens and let the spirit move us like that kind of that has as good a chance as anything to mm. to help move the needle um and so and, and again that could just be wishful thinking or silly hope but like there's there is this like i feel like because I guess, like, my question then would be, like, well, then what's the alternative? Like, what what mm. else could happen or what else could we do or, or, or what might be a way to 
to undercut the hate that comes out of of places like this and 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 to kind of echo back to to something that you said earlier ethan like progressives have a problem with how they approach people <laughs> at times sure. and and so like is there a a, a more effective way, I guess, of responding to the Asbury revival or things like it. Cause like it's done and in the past, um, but like, is there a way to, to create space or, or an on-ramp or a way to cut through the, the wall that is this evangelical fundamentalist um, culture of bigotry <laughs> um, that is so prevalent in our country. Right. Right. I, I just have a quick thought and then I'll throw it over to Joe if she has a thought as well. Uh, I think it depends on if you want to change hearts and minds, or if you want to change the law, mm. you know, if, sure. if you want to change hearts and minds, then, uh, then there's tactics or strategies that you can use to, to, I think, do that. But if you want to change the law, then there's a whole other separate sort of set of, of um, strategies and tactics, right? Sure. And I and I'm not at the local as a minister, as a pastor at the local church level. I am interested in changing hearts and minds, but but I think that's just because that's part of my job as a pastor. I think part of my job as a pastor is to create good disciples, to help help you know do my part along with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> To, you know, to uh, uh, transform people's, you know, the, be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, all that good stuff. Like, I think that's true. But I don't think that will save a trans person. Right. Mm. I don't, I really don't. I think that, I think that might save uh, Ethel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that might save Ethel in the pew, but I don't think that will save a trans person. And I think that uh, that's fine. Like I think it's fine. I actually don't think pastors are terribly good advocates in general and activists. And sure. I don't consider myself a, a great activist as a pastor. So I think that's fine. But like I, I think that um, a more effective tactic. So like this goes back. I guess I'm talking a little bit more and I apologize. This goes back a little bit, Patrick, to something you said uh, in the main episode about institutions that, mm-hmm. that on one hand, I very much agree with you on. Like I'm all about sort of thinking through like what would it mean for the church to embrace weakness and smallness, right? And, and mm, sure. locality and stuff like that. It's like, it's a thing that's always on my mind. Um, but like another thing you said that I think is really good and, and I agree with is, you know, institutions, when we start thinking about denominations institutions have this striking ability to just fail spectacularly and then a lot of people get hurt and i think that's true but we are combating a well-oiled institution Mm. yeah that that has succeeded at every level for the most part you know every level that matters right like and so to imagine this is just this is just my opinion to imagine that we are going to combat the well-oiled machine that is chipping away at voting rights, trans rights and 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 the existence of LGBTQ people using billions of dollars well organizing 
propaganda, all of the stuff. We're going to combat that using um, uh, not that strategy strikes me as incredibly silly. Not because maybe it's not morally correct, right? Like, I think that the church, you know, I, I've said this to Joe a few times, like, I think that if the church is really serious about being the church, we should disestablish and not not worry about gaining power. The problem then is, is that we cannot be held morally responsible for what the Republicans are doing because we don't have the power to stop them. And, and I actually think that that's okay because I think theologically, and here's my last comment and then I'll kick it over to Joe. I think theologically, all I'm trying to do, you know, in my perspective on all of this is try to take seriously the, the reality of God's weakness and God's favoritism for the poor and the oppressed to its nth degree. Mm-hmm. If, if, uh, you know, and I just try to be honest, right? Like, uh, I just don't think God cares as much about a young person at Asbury as God cares about trans and LGBTQ and oppressed people. I just don't think that. And so, and so I think that when, when, and I don't blame This is another example. I think of maybe our ability to love, uh, uh, beyond the parameters of how Jesus loved, right? Like, because I just don't think, because I think salvation is first for the oppressed and second for the oppressor. I just kind of sit there and I go, oh, well, unfortunately, you know, Asbury revivalists, and the same thing goes for me too, middle class, white, straight guy. You're at the back of the line. Mm-hmm. You are, you just are. Sorry. You know, God, God doesn't play fair. He doesn't, God doesn't care about any of that god cares if you're poor and oppressed and and if you are at the and if you are you know the outcast god on purpose puts the outcast in front of you and you can either get on board with that and repent or you can just accept your judgment and I really think that, like, like that's my least progressive take <laughs> on God. Like, like I, I just, I think that if there's one thing that's true, it's probably that, that, that the only people who are screaming in hell are people with hate in their hearts and rich people. And, and that, that eventually, since I am a universalist, they'll get out, but only after every single cent is burned away. And every single thing they learned from being wealthy has been burned away. You know, Ethan, do, like, you, do you need a hug? I no, <laughs> I just, that's just what I think is true. I think that's reality. I, I think that's, I, I, and, and you know what, like that includes me, right? Like, yeah. like I, and I'm, uh, am I okay with it? Well, it's irrelevant. It's the truth. Sure. I, but I care about that. Like that's where I come from. And so okay. when I, when I see, not that you guys don't, you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. so when I see, when I, I, I don't, I don't really see it. I don't see the same tensions. I think you see Patrick like, ah, oh, but what, but these, these kids, they don't know any better. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They don't know any better. The, the, you know, who did know better, the people that taught them and, and they're going to burn for a little while and probably uh, the, the people that, you know, are received the education are going to burn for a little while too. (laughs) 
that's just how it is, you know? And I, and I think that that's probably justice. It's probably good. You know, um, for every, for every Hitler youth that existed, <laughs> one of them became Pope. Pope, Pope Benedict was a, we, Pope Benedict was a member of the Hitler youth. No, we I know. know. I just forgot for a second. You know, like, 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 and, and, and I, it is good and just and merciful and great that every little child who is a part of the Hitler youth will suffer judgment. It is a good thing. Why? Because it is good news for the poor and the oppressed. Oh, man. It's good news. That's okay. good news, man. The, well, it's, oh. it's bad news for the Hitler youth, but but the Hitler youth need to have some bad news a little bit. I I understand. I think all of what you're saying and disagree with most of it. That's okay. You're allowed. <laughs> because because I'm a universalist, I think that it's really great. Like, um, like I think that in the yeah. end, you know, we're all we're all, you know, get to enjoy uh, each other and the presence of God, you know, yeah. all in all. But that's really what I think, Patrick. Like I I that's I, I'm like, yeah, sure. that's probably true. That's probably it. No, it's, I appreciate that. A couple quick things that I would say is to respond. One is like the, the notion that God cares more about a trans kid than a kid at the Asbury Revival assumes that the kid at the Asbury Revival is not also a trans kid and Oof, that there's yeah. not overlap sure. there. Sure. And there's, so, there's, more, there's more queer uh, Southern Baptists than there are uh, metropolitan community church people. That likely, statistically, that's probably true. Yeah. Um, and so, the, so there, there's, there's a piece of that that is is I, f- I feel like gets missed is that that there's more overlap than than I think we often acknowledge. The thing that I would push back on on the the political side is that like I don't think that you can create a machine that is going to be as that's going to be able to compete against the 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 transphobic machine that is running through the country right now. I think you have to use um, alternative tactics or different tactics. I mean, it's, it'd be this, because that kind of comes across as like the, the writer's strike should be using the exact same tactics that the, the um, executives are using. Again, the whole reason that you do a strike is because you do not have the power of the executives. Right. So like the, 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 there's, I feel like the, while it may be silly, like I think the I don't see, at least in this current moment, the ability to create some sort of competitive machine. The other thing that I think about a lot um, that I don't have any like conclusion from is that like I know that the North won the Civil War, but like <laughs> also didn't. Yeah. yeah. And so like the and, and I think often yeah. about just the persistence of, I mean, and through the lost cause narrative and all of that, but just the persistence of everything aligned with the Confederacy and the racism that that in, it entails, like, like that wasn't that that wasn't a victory, like they that persi- I mean, the Southern Baptists are by by number of congregations, the Southern Baptists are the largest church in the country. Mm-hmm. They out by number of congregations, they're they're larger than the Catholics. Number of people, the Catholics are twice the size or something like that. But like oh. the the it it's 
I don't know. There's there's something where there has to be, and I don't see how it, like, because like I don't I'm I don't know how a um any kind of a machine kind of approach, a large structure or whatever could end up winning because maybe you could force um a better society on people, but. Like, I feel like it has to be at the level of changing hearts and minds in order for it to have any lasting power, because otherwise you're just going to still have Confederates. Mm. And, and so it, I don't know, there's, there's just the thing there. And, and I, the, the other thing I, I would push back some, gosh, I don't want to say this, but I, I believe it. Um, I, That's what we do here. <laughs> <laughs> Cause like, I, I get the preferential treatment for the poor and the oppressed. Totally. Like the Magnificat and all that stuff. But like, I do believe in the inherent fairness of God that like that, that there's not this because I believe everyone is created in God's image. Um, and so if we're all God's children, God doesn't want the Asbury child to suffer because the trans child is suffering, right? Like, like, it's not like I would not want another child to suffer if my child is suffering. Like that's not sure. Right. So like, I, 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 I would imagine my theological view is much more like we are all in this. And that's why like our salvation is tied to each other. Mm-hmm. Like the salvation of the people at Asbury is tied to the salvation of trans folk. And if they are suffering, then, then, then the oppressive system that exists. Is it the other way around though? Is it the other way around? Can trans folk, can trans folk be saved if Asbury folks are saved? I don't think it's true. No, I think, I don't the, think the salvation so, so of trans folks is the only way for. Right the Asbury folks to be saved in any holistic way for sure. Right. That that, like the freeing of the oppressive system is the only way to find salvation. Even if you are in the dominant or, or privileged class. Right. Yeah. You know, this is the thing is that if the, if the Asbury folks were saved from their homophobia and transphobia, trans folks would also be saved. Like I, I, this is, what what hits me about this or or what confuses me about that not com- this this is what what strikes me sure. is that one it's like both at once right we both um advocate in every shape and way with whatever power we have um as we can have the conversation about what role the church has in this but like as voting people in the united states who have the ability to to impact um to impact others in whatever way that we can like we we fight tooth and nail to enshrine trans rights to make it illegal to discriminate to um enshrine abortion care and uh same-sex marriage and like all of these things like we do we do all this work while also there are those of us who are working on the like piecemeal person by person heart by uh mind minds and hearts and minds changing so like we both um we both outlaw slavery and work to um 
uh, that that doesn't that metaphor doesn't work so it's gonna work to free work to free slaves where they can't be we just have to shrink all of the spaces where it's okay to be transphobic homophobic racist all these kind of things right we shrink them until they kind of don't matter and then we work one by one to get those people out who want to main, remain in that space to get those people out of that space you know like we do we do everything we can to contain those people first to stop the the physical harm that they are doing and then and then we worry about the salvation of the oppressor you know like it'd be great if it all happened all at once and i do think that there are people who are called to care for the oppressor like oh my god there are so many people that i went to in seminary who are called to care for the oppressor um and I think that like, that's actually a good role as long as you come to it from the understanding that you're caring for the oppressor. The oppressor is a human, but they must be freed from their oppressorness before they can be more human, you know? Like, I think we actually have the capacity to do it all at once. I think we're overwhelmed. I think we don't have strategies, all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah, I would, the one thing that I would say is that I mean, there's, there's always the straight cis white guy, but, but like for most, for the majority of people, no one is a hundred percent oppressed and a hundred percent oppressor. Sure. Like there are overlaps, there are intersections. And so like, so I, I, which again is, is to the, the, there's, um, we do all the things, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like like we do all the things to to make things better but like the, there is an interconnectedness of it all mm-hmm. because it's just like the yes the white gay man experiences homophobia but like very different than like, like the black trans woman different than the black trans woman and different than the black man who's straight right like like the mm-hmm. the there, it is, it layers, it, it, it overlaps the, the privilege and the oppression, um, those who are oppressors versus those who are oppressed. Like there's very few people that are like truly just oppressed and very few people who are truly just oppressors. And so mm-hmm. like, I, the, like I, I certainly like understand the prioritization of those who are oppressed over the oppressor, but like, it's not, it, it's not, it's, I, I don't know how many instances you can fully separate out. Okay. Patrick and Ethan are the oppressors. Sure. <laughs> and, and then here's everybody else. Right. Like, like, I, I don't know. It's, it's, there's, um, it's it anyways that that's a whole another conversation so i'll stop there <laughs> yeah i mean i think you i think with this we have hit on something that i think is a big i know is a big point of attention for me and it's something that we talk about i think we've talked about a lot over the years on the podcast is like what what does justice look like you know like yeah. the the judgment of the nations right. in matthew i think 25 with the sheep and the goats 
to me, I like a light bulb went off in my head when I realized or was told that like, well, this is judgment of the nations, right? Like the United States will be judged. And like you are a United States citizen, you are judged alongside what your country has done. You know, like the Assyrians are judged, not not like Assyria is judged, but the Assyrians individually are all judged for their for their complicity in this system. And, and like that's what I think. Going back to like the Asbury kids, I like I kept on thinking of the most YA reference that could happen. But like in the Hunger Games, like the kids who grow up in District One and then the Capitol, sure. like this is all they know. They have no ability, right? They've been like propagandized to their whole lives. They like they only have their standards of what is good. Their imagination is so limited. And so you I mean you would have to break them out of that system in order for them to think any differently, in order for them to receive the salvation that we know is waiting for them. Um and I get like breaking you're breaking out individuals from from an oppressive a, a system that both oppresses others violently and oppresses those within it in all the different ways but like the machine is so intense how do you like pick it off piece by piece and is that even effective like yeah i there's so many this is why like this is why it's so hard for us to fight against this right because uh, we have compassion in our souls <laughs> and how do we how do we work it how do we do this yeah hmm i don't know i don't know i <laughs> yeah. think that i think that uh i think that when white people try to be liberation theologians we run into the all three of the problems that we're talking about, like all three of these perspectives, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that for my end, you know, I'm just trying to take seriously what James Cone teaches us, which is, you know, if you want to be saved, you have to become black. Not like Rachel Dolezal. <laughs> right. but, but like, by the way, I realized the other day that that's the only way my children could possibly like totally disappoint me is if they became <laughs> transracial. That would be it. That would be like, I identify as black now, dad. And I'm like, I have no son. <laughs> Get, out of, Get out of my that would, house. That'd be rough. Like, like, how do I do that? What do I say? <laughs> yeah, my son, he... <sighs> I can't look at people in the eye like... Like my son is so stupid, um, but anyway, we don't like, think Elliot will do that. Elliot, if you hear uh, this in the future, you don't do that, Elliot. You. Don't I do love you? Just don't do that. <laughs> wouldn't you rather be? Wouldn't you rather be a Satanist? Just do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like I, I think that I think that if we, one of the if white people insist on trying to talk about liberation, I think we need to pay attention to what the people who are writing liberation theology are telling us, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and I think that that's, and it's okay if we don't agree, right? Like it really is. Like, I think it's fine um, that we don't agree, but, but then I think that we've, we've crossed away and this is, this is my gentle, this is my gentle push on you, Patrick. And I don't mean this in any bad way. Because I, I really don't, but like, I think that you know these are these are elements to liberation theological thinking that if we are don't like, then maybe maybe 
that it's okay then that we don't see ourselves as doing liberation theology, right? Like if, if liberation theology is the streets will run red with the blood of the bourgeoisie, as, you know, parts of Gustave Gutierrez says, but, but we're like, yeah, but the bourgeoisie are made in God's image. Should they, should the streets really be run red with their blood? You know, I think then the, the question is, I think it's a good question. <laughs> I'm not right. saying that's, sure. I'm not trying to be a monster, but like, I think then that we've, maybe we as white people are like, hmm, maybe this, lib- maybe we don't want liberation. Maybe we just don't want it. You know, maybe if, if the only way the, we'll go back to the Asbury kids. If the Asbury kids are what we think they are stereotypically, and of course they're not, there's all your Patrick, sure, sure, you're sure. dead. You're dead. Right. There's, there's always overlap and intersectionality, but if the Asbury folks really are who they think we are, then the only possible way that they can be saved is if they stop being who they are. Is if is if they're so transformed, they're so utterly remade that that you know the 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 horrible theology, the the impact that they are a part of in this web of conservative Christian fascist activism, the the every single soul they ever by accident or on purpose harmed and what they and how they became the people they are from harming those souls all of that will have to be burned away in in, in golgotha right <laughs> they have to be burned away in eternal fire they have to be burned away but by, by taking up the cross and then what's left of that person can we meaningfully say that that is a person that was the same person that uh, uh, they were at the beginning? And I don't think we can, right? Like, I don't think we can meaningfully say that. I think that's why sanctification happens now so that we can be closer to the people we will be when we are saved, you know, rather than totally unlike um, after everything is done. And that's, I think, what I mean when I talk about, like, judgment and 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 all this stuff right like i think that if we take seriously these things i think we have to come to if god is more than the crucified god if god is other than the god of the oppressed then uh, there's nothing to worry about you know then then there's room there's room for for wealthy people who do the oppression, right? There's there's room for capitalists in God's kingdom. There's room for white supremacists in God's kingdom in some way, as long as they feel bad about it. But like, but if we take seriously this notion that no, no, God is black, God is poor, God is queer, God is on the cross dying, then I think we have to come to the conclusion that there is no room for crucifiers in the kingdom and there is no room for anti-gay anti-black anti all of this stuff there's no room for them they must be either uh totally remade or not allowed in okay well and so my my question to, would be then who is not in some way a crucifier well, I would imagine that um, somebody like, 
unless you want to unless you want to play weird games, I imagine that we can probably say comfortably that folks who you know are caught up in say nineteenth century chattel slavery, it would be weird to say, ah, but who have you crucified <laughs> in your in your time here on earth? Hmm? I think that would be a rather odd thing to say. Well, I think, but if uh, I guess if we're going to go down a, the darkest path possible, we don't uh, have to go down the darkest path possible. Like, so sure, but like, well, I guess the <sighs> I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> just, but like, it's it's okay. So, so like, where's the line? Like, okay, so people who were slaves. They're not crucifiers. Everybody else is like what, or, or how do you make that distinction? And then is that not like, it's, it's like salvation based on identity or salvation based on your lack of oppressorness? Like how, what, what qualifies? Like, so that's an example of one, but like, at what point do you shift from being, a crucified person to a crucifier. Like it seems like you're creating an us versus them categorization. I, I'm not and, creating it. Gustav Gutierrez is creating it. Well, <laughs> John sure. Sorbino is creating it. Like that's all I'm trying to say. I, I mean, I, to I be think, honest, Jesus is creating it, right? Jesus the is creating it. First, etc. Yeah. Well, but um, every but then Jesus bow, also right? forgave like, the people who crucified him, and so. Uh, but well, that's what the gospel tells us. <laughs> you, yeah, well, like I if, sure. I mean, if Jesus did forgive the people who crucify him, I think that's fine. But then I just want to say, like, like I, Patrick, I think there's definitely wisdom in what you're saying. I really do. Sure. But then why bother talking about any of this then? If 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 the secret, if the hidden secret is we are all at the same time sinners and saints, we are all at the same time oppressors and and the oppressed then what what is the theological truth that is revealed you know by by talking about god's love for the oppressed what what is what, what if if there's no real distinction or if the distinction is if the line is so fuzzy that it that it changes from day to day then then what in the world what what possible truth what possible lesson can we gain from from poor man Jesus of Nazareth who who showed up at, not as uh, somebody who uh, could sometimes be the oppressed could sometimes be the oppressor but showed up pretty clearly among everybody who mattered as somebody who didn't matter like what, what can we he was a rabbi, you know, we just, we also just talked about Jesus and the Samaritan woman, you know, we like, just did. No, you're right. the oppressor. You're exactly right. And I think that's fine. But, but this is then the question I have. Why then are we, why does it matter? If this is the way in which we're going to interpret some of this stuff, if, if, if it's going to be ambiguity all the way down, then um, why do we care if churches are inclusive places, like like what would matter? Who, who gives a shit? Like like it, well, you know the the people the, the the this church made for queer people by queer people. It's important for you to realize that 
you know, even though it's it's quite nice that you get to be a part of this space, you know, at the end of the day, you're occasionally just as bad as Ted Cruz. And then they all nod. They go, mm, yeah, that's true. There's there's real truth to that. You know, well, that, well what do we do then? Well, like, like what's the point? One, no one is as bad as Ted Cruz. That is true. No, I, I shouldn't have said that, Patrick. You're exactly right. <laughs> Nobody loves um, Ted Cruz. I hope people find that funny. Um, <laughs> the... Because, and gosh, this feels very Pentecostal of me, but like, like, because the, the, the evil in the world are the powers and the principalities, not the people. Yes, so, you're exactly right. So like, that's where I would make the distinction is that we are all capable and most all of us at some point buy into participate in um, the, the powers and principalities, the, those things that are oppressive. And so the, like, I don't think there is an us versus them. I don't think that the, and, and maybe I don't fit into liberation theology as it's, as it's been developed and, and, and I'm just taking some insight from it. So, I mean, whichever I, theologians are people and I've met plenty of people in my day <laughs> that are that yeah. they're theologians. And so I, <laughs> they, they just talk a lot. Um, That's true. And so, so like the, like I, the, so yes, there is the bringing down the rich and the powerful. There, there is the raising up of the humble. But like it, it comes through this. Jesus, the way that I talk about it is that Jesus led us into a way of building community where everyone's needs are met. It's it's seeing value in people because they are created in God's image, not based on their wealth and power. It is a rejection of exploitation and other forms of dominance um, in, in favor of the, like, la familia de Dios, right? Like the, the, the idea of being part of the family of God. And so the, 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 the trouble, or I guess like for me, the, 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 the thing that, that happens is if you separate people into oppressed and oppressor, you're going to end up dehumanizing people who also experience some form of oppression. And then the question is like, what, how would you, how do you quantify that? How do you qualify that? Like is, if someone is 75% oppressive, like are they destined to burn? But somebody who's 75% oppressed, like they're not, or is it like everybody's going to get their percentage of oppression burned out of them. Like, like, I think it's that, I think it's everybody and, gets their percentage of oppression burned out of them. Right. And, and based on, well, and, and, and it is that like, like, which is like, to me is just kind of the, like, well, then what does it mean that God forgives? Does God not absolve sin? Like, or, or so like, I guess there's, to me, there's like this fundamental, Sure, there is a sense of fairness and justice in God does a magic calculation of your oppression, of how you've oppressed people, and then burns it out of you, and then you get to spend time with God. Like, that that makes sense, I guess, like, on a graph. But, like, like the, where then, like, where then is the forgive, like, every week I do communion, and, and 
it's it's quoting i think is it jesus and matthew or whatever like passing the cup um the covenant of my blood for the forgiveness of sins like then then is there any forgiveness of sins and, and well, what does that mean of course but but like i don't think god can forgive sin by fiat like i don't think god i don't i don't think it's just and good for God to to say, oh, your sins are forgiven, and there's there's nothing that needs to be done, not not e- not on your part or really anybody's part, right? Like that's that that would make Anselm of Canterbury makes this argument, and Caradeus Homo, he's like, if God were to simply forgive sins by fiat, it would be better to be unjust. Yeah, it would be better to be evil. You know, a, a good and just person has to follow rules, but they will receive the same blessing as as the one who doesn't. Like. It would make no sense. We would have to come to the conclusion that God is on the side of evil, not on the side of good. It's why I also don't buy the the Calvinist and Lutheran understanding of that that God sees you know Jesus uh, when He sees us. That that Jesus sort of is uh, Jesus's righteousness takes the place of our righteousness. I'm like that might be true if God were a liar. You know, if God decided to warp reality to God's own purposes and not be truthful, no, like good people go to heaven. It's actually just that simple. And God makes us good, whether on this earth or in hell. <laughs> and, and and but I really think that otherwise, otherwise there's no talk of justice. It really would be mercy and love all the way down. And if it's mercy and love all the way down, then there is no prophetic tradition. There is no hope for the for anybody who is suffering. Not really, because everybody's no everybody's everybody's just going to be like, oh, okay, well, if it that whoever has caused me to suffer, whatever forces in the world, whatever demonic powers and principalities, and whatever acolytes of those demonic powers and principalities have come upon me and forced me to suffer, their fate is the same as my fate without having to do anything, without having, without reconciliation, without, Mm -hmm. without justice, without nothing. Like I'm okay. And I believe this, like I'm okay that one day, like Hitler and I will hug in, in the eschaton. Like I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But I'm not fine with the fact. But I wouldn't be fine with it if Hitler doesn't have to have things judged. Yeah. That that the love and mercy that goes all the way down sees Hitler in the same way, the same exact way that he see, that that God sees um, the Jewish baby that Hitler had killed. I think we're crossing into territory that that isn't just sort of morally bananas, but like, I don't really think the scriptures back up. You know, I think, I actually think, I tend to think that love is a minor piece to the scripture, my friend. Like, like I think love is constantly being qualified by holiness and justice and wrath and sovereignty and all this stuff. And, and I think that's good news. I don't think we want a God of sentimental love all the way down. You know, I think, I think that's, uh, that God can at best only be on the side of those who are also sentimental, you know, and there, and I don't think a God of sent, and I'm not Patrick, I'm not saying this is what you're saying. I'm, I'm just responding to what you're saying. Like, like 
I just think that there has to be a, a thicker account. There must be more. And I think forgiveness is is definitely there. I think grace is definitely there. But I think forgiveness and grace are always caught up with sanctification. It's always caught up in God's renewal of the creature. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, who cares? Like, why bother? At least for me, like, like there is no good news. There is no... It, I. Oh. I really do think I'm a wretch, Patrick. I know. And, and so, and but you're but, but a beautiful creation of God. But that's irrelevant. I've heard how, people. How could there I've be heard anything? People. How could Pat, there be anything so if, like, like. If God, if God would welcome me into God's arms without first remaking me, transforming me, and, and reconciling and bringing about justice for all the people I have hurt. Can I enjoy the light of heaven? Could I don't okay. think I could, for I would just feel shame. Okay. And what would be worse? What would be worse is if God. What would be worse is if God took away my shame, without first correcting the wrong. Then I would be a monster. I would just have a good time in heaven, watching the people that I have hurt and not feeling a single bit of guilt. And I and and I just think that I think that is bad news all the way down. Wow, I think I, that is bad so, news all the way down. Wow. So Patrick, before before I I don't know you could feel how you feel about Ethan and what what Ethan's just said, but I I agree a lot <laughs> with what he's saying, uh, and like I don't think that I'm a wretch all the way down. Um, I think that in terms of like repentance and repair work, which is the work that goes along with forgiveness and goes along with restoration. I think one, many of us are not equipped in any way, shape or form to actually fully turn away from the harm we do and or repair the harm that we do. I think that I don't know why God gave us the ability to do such outsized harm to each other, but we can do harm that like it would take a miracle to resolve in this lifetime. And many people in this lifetime are not interested in making any type of, of repentance and repair for their harm. You know, like as, as people in the United States, there are some of us who would love to um, make up for the wrongs of chattel slavery to the best of our ability, but none of us will be able to actually repair all of the wrongs and the continuing wrongs of chattel slavery. And so what I need from God in order for God to be just is for God to do all of that work within us in whatever world comes after this one so that the repair happens so that our repentance is true so that we are transformed. And so that when we enter into the eschaton all together, healing has happened, but that healing doesn't, isn't just given by fiat that healing is like worked for because because we are part of it you know we can't not be part of that healing and i think there is i think there is grace abounds in in that work toward healing toward repentance and repair and restoration but i think that like it's the line in for everyone born where there's a place at the table there's a place at the table for abused or abused i think that like God is a miracle worker and that like in the eschaton, there will be a place at the table for me and my abuser. But I will tell you that like 
right now, the tables that my abuser is at are tables that I am not at. And uh, my abuser is welcome at the same tables I'm at. So I have to, I have to choose who I want to be. You know, I think that until the fullness of the new creation has come about in all of our hearts, that like that work has to be done. That of the oppressor in us has to be worked out of us. Like that's the work of salvation. And there is grace that guides us to that work. And there's grace that empowers us in that work. And that grace will carry us through into whatever comes next. And is that grace that drives us toward being back toward each other that will enable us to like walk that hard road. But the hard road is there and I, I can't ignore it. That's, yeah. Patrick's, Patrick's like, these people are fucking out of their mind. I know. I'm sorry, these I played people... the abuse card I, on you. I would never say that. I know um, you would never say that. <laughs> um so okay, wow, that's that's a lot. Um okay, I think two things for me, because like I certainly can't respond to all of it. Sure, sorry. Um, I, no, no, no. That's fine. The I prefer when we're talking about love um, to translate it as compassion because I feel like that's the most accurate, mm. um, which slightly sure. different than the idea of sentimental love. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, but for me, it is grace and compassion all the way down. Like, like I, I hate to say this, Ethan, but I do think that you are a beautiful child of God, deserving of love mm. and dignity, and that Gross. you are not a wretch. So <laughs> you can you can take that for what it's worth, which and I I appreciate that might be nothing. <laughs> I think that I'm going to say something that probably is whatever, but like I think God's justice is unfair by definition. Like there's the the parable of the the workers in the vineyard, and it doesn't matter if they worked for all day or if they worked an hour they all got paid a day's wage right they all got what they needed and so the 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 notion that that i i don't see how there can be grace and a fair accounting of everybody's oppression and wrongs ever that is then burned out of them like dross right like there has to be if grace is real there has to be Jesus on the cross saying, I forgive them for they know not what they do. There has to be like people not getting what they deserve. Like there, there, there has to be that to some extent. Now is, are there boundaries or or is there a, a line too far? Is there a need for a specific kind of attitude or repentance or whatever? I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know. But what what I feel like cannot be true is this like detailed accounting of everything. Like then then what is grace? Like like grace is just coming to realize you should burn for a while before going to hug Hitler? Like, like <laughs> I, I don't know. So like and, and, oh, so you're not a meth- this is the thing is that the like the this the prevenient grace that draws you toward justifying grace like that 
like that to me is is just grace so the the great so realizing that you do need to change is is an act of grace because otherwise we would just stay in our sin and then we are cleared in the eyes of god through justifying grace god has forgiven the sins that we have done against god by sinning against god's creatures but that does not mean that we have repaired the relationship with god's creatures that's the work of sanctifying grace sure but like are you like going with the holiness tradition that like if you mess up once like then you're back into the 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 saddle of sin and like are, are destined for burning. Like, like there, there's just the, like, what is grace if it requires perfection? Oh, Oh, grace perfects us. I know that's, 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 that's the thing. Uh, And I, I actually, I actually think, I actually think this is friend. I think this is pretty biblical. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You know, in what way is God perfect? You sure. know, uh, I mean, but but like, but but I do. I think that 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 is a, that's part a of fun it. verse to quote, given that that's in the context of loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. It is. Which- which we're doing, right? Like the hate that I have in my heart against white nationalists is something that God is going to have to burn out of me because I'm not letting it go anytime soon, you know? But I do need to be back in right relationship with them. You know, I have to get over my shit as well. Right. Right. I think that's all. I think with Joe and I saying, I think what Joe and I are saying is the same thing, right? Like, the the stuff in me y'all are that definitely saying me, the same thing. The stuff, <laughs> Sorry, the, stuff in, the stuff in me that causes me to hate people uh, is unacceptable. It, it, hate does not have a place in the kingdom yeah, of God. But like I feel and, like, and so and so it needs to. God needs to deal with it through God's grace, not not by going. Well, you didn't actually deal with it, Ethan. You still have. Will I have hate in my heart when I enter into God's presence or not? That's the question. And, and and if if there is no hate in God's kingdom, if there's no hate in God's realm, and I enter in with hate in my heart, what happens? Will God wipe it away using God's magic? Or will God, through uh, uh, grace and, and, and working out, you know, within me, burn away that hate and transform that hate with love? Like, and maybe it's more gentle than burning. Listeners, here is where Patrick leaves and uh, his audio cut out. He has to go pick up his daughter. And so you will hear him leave. You will hear us say goodbye to him and a couple of closing thoughts. But this is me from the future jumping in to clarify the next two minutes you're going to hear. You should, you should go. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick. No, you're, you're great. We legitimately love having you on, Patrick. Go be with your daughter. This was wonderful. Thank you. Bye. As like my final thought, because I also should have left an hour and a half ago. I noticed. (laughs) Uh, Or just half an hour ago. Is that like, we keep on saying fire, but like, I think we're both open to the idea of the process being gentle. It is just this gentle insistence, but it is an insistence that like, we do the work. And the work will, will be difficult and emotionally painful and all that kind of stuff. I don't think God needs to torture us into um, yeah. into repentance. I just think it's a gentle insistence that until we work through this, you cannot be in the space yet over and right. over and over again until we're ready. 
Right, right. Jesus uses refining fire as a metaphor, you know, which is not torture. You know, it's it's a it's the that's what I think of when I think of burning, right? You know, it's it's a it, it, a, a purposeful purification, right? To to make something better, not to punish. You know, that's not that's not on my radar. Yeah, and I think I don't think we express that. But also, Patrick, we talked over you a lot. So when you listen back to this one day, sorry for talking over you so much and the teaming up on you. Patrick, you're great. You really are. You're you're very good. You're a very good pastor. You're, you're. I get excited because I think you're very smart. That's why I got. That's why I perked up. You know, like oh, we can have a good conversation here, and uh, and it's really good. So we're going to give you your own nickname. We're going to call you Pussy Willow. All right, here we go. His nickname is Balaam's ass. <laughs> Balaam's ass, even better, even better. <laughs> well, thank you, Ethan, for all of this, and we will figure out how this all fits into whatever content. But will you sign us off for a minisode? I can, friends. Thanks for listening. It's been a minisode of what the hell is a pastor? We are Spanx Reebok, the dude, and Balaam's ass, and we will see you next time. is a part of the Disruptive Disciples podcast network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schoenwolf, performed by Joe Schoenwolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Email us at whatthehellisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WTHIAP, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP, where you can get access to Pillow Talk, merch, and some other stuff. Thanks for listening, and remember, friends, Ethan gave me all the money in his wallet.